RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. PS Nutrition are a leading supplement nutrition brand in the UK and have a real good background in rugby union. Uh, we're delighted to be involved with them. So check out their quality batch tested informed sports supplements at pas-nutrition.co.uk and make sure you're game ready. Now today's podcast, of course, I'm Jamie Bain as always, and today I'll be interviewing Joel Jameson, expert S&C coach with a huge background in mixed martial arts. Uh, he's author of the book Ultimate MMA Conditioning, and uh, we're going to talk to him about energy systems, mixed martial arts, obviously, and um, heart rate variability training. So give it a listen, and as always, let us know your thoughts. Hi Joel, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Why don't we start by you just sort of enlighten us in, as your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the teams, sports, athletes you've worked with. Yeah, sure. Glad to be here. Um, you know, I, I came into the field in a pretty conventional manner. Uh, I started out, I played football uh, growing up and then briefly in college and basically realized I wasn't going to, wasn't going to make it to the next level. It wasn't something I was going to really do as a career, but I'd always enjoyed being around athletes. I love the training side of things. I love studying how the human body worked and mostly I'm impatient. So I always want to figure out how to get results faster. Uh, and so I spent some time interning working at university of Washington with a great strength coach there named Bill Gillespie, you know, working primarily with the football team. I went over the university, or sorry, I went to the Seattle Seahawks for a, a little bit, uh, and, and saw that side of things and then kind of basically made a decision whether, rather than going down the team professional route, I decided to open up my own facility. Uh, just like the idea of controlling my own destiny and, and not having to move around the country for the rest of my life or, uh, you know, being out of a job every every year due to things that are out of your control. So I opened up a gym in 2003, um, and that was fortunately next to a world-class MMA gym. And so that's where my career took quite a bit of a turn. You know, I originally planned or thought my focus was to be on strength and power and NFL players and college football players and that kind of thing. But I ended up working with MMA athletes. At the time, it was a pretty little-known underground sport, uh, but little did I know in the next couple of years, it was going to start exploding all over the U.S. and then the world. So um, as that happened, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of different world champions in the sport, traveled literally all over the world from Japan to Canada, South America, UK, just kind of all over the place with lots of different fighters. And I can't even tell you how many events I've been to at this point. But as the sport you know, grew in popularity, I started getting my information out there, how we were conditioning these guys and what we were doing in training camp. And I was I was fortunately working with the, the best MMA coach in the world uh, by far, a guy named Matt Hume. And you know, we had a lot of success, so I was, I was able to help other combat athletes and coaches understand what we were doing and what the right approaches were versus the wrong approaches, and you know, just kind of built a, you know, built a, a website to help people understand essentially how to train combat athletes. And once I started getting the information out there, I got a lot of feedback and a lot of contact from all kinds of sports, from football to rugby to CrossFit to um, you know just by any sport you can think of. At some point, I was getting questions and getting comments and so i just kind of started diversifying and um you know really i've had that site eight weeks out now since 2009 and spent time with every possible sport organization you can think of spent time in china japan 
Canada, the UK, Australia, really just all over the place, lecturing different teams, consulting, talking to athletes and coaches from really everything. So I've, I've tried to, um, again, just kind of take what I've learned over the years from a lot of different world-class coaches I've had the chance to be around and a lot of world championship fights and world titles and different things I've been able to experience and just try to share the, the information of what I've learned with, with different coaches that are looking to get better. That's great. And, and everyone appreciates you taking the time to share that and especially on the podcast today. Now, talking about um, mixed martial arts and, and your involvement in other sports, now, what do you think uh, rugby can learn from mixed martial arts? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is you look at sports where there's a lot of contact, whether it's American football, whether that's rugby, whether that's MMA, and I think you just have to look at the big picture of how high impact velocity and, and how the stress of pounding on each other, whether it's you know, running into each other in the rugby field or in the football field or in a fight, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for understanding the stress of that level of training, the mental stress, the physical stress, you know, the frequency of training, all those things play a huge role in understanding how do you properly prepare an athlete to perform at the highest level. So, you know, the energy demands may be somewhat different. Um, the rules and the sport itself skills are obviously a lot different, but just the overall physical and mental stress and process that the athletes go through on a daily basis has a lot of similarities so i think you can learn just by looking at you know what the methods are that work how do we put together the pieces of training nutrition rest recovery you know mental development all those sorts of things and i think we can i know that there's a lot to be said for just looking at how different athletes and different sports get better and there's something you can always learn about how to apply it to you know your sport or, or different sports there's, there's some there's more commonalities i think in training than there are differences really when you get down to the heart of it yeah, definitely. I think sometimes people can kind of get pigeonholed into, you know, just a American football SNC or just mixed martial arts. And like I say, they could probably do just as good a job in a different sport. It's the basics of SNC can be applied to, to any sport, can't they? Yeah, I mean, the human body is a human body. It, it you know, it, it works the same fundamentally regardless of which sports you're working on. What changes are, you know, the, the energetics. Uh, the specific skills and movements that are being developed, you know, maybe the time of year and the competition schedule, but fundamentally how the body responds to stress, that doesn't change. A rugby player has the same autonomic nervous system, the same neuromuscular system as an MMA fighter or a football player. I mean, the fundamentals of how the body works never change because it's the human body. So if you understand at the essence of how the body adapts to stress, how the different types of training affect the body and the mind, if you understand those core principles, it's just a matter of learning the demands of the sport and applying the same principles, you know, to those particular athletes. Yeah, definitely. And you you touched on enemy uh, sorry, energy systems there, um, and I've seen you um, talk about this a lot in the past. Um, now, what what do you think is the biggest mistake people make in terms of energy system training? Yeah, it's just the high intensity all the time mentality. I mean, I think people look at sports that are explosive. They look at sports that have speed and power and they think okay well this is just a speed power anaerobic type sport and they spend 90 percent of their time trying to go as fast as they possibly can trying to run at the highest heart rates possible and you know ultimately you don't have well-rounded development in that case and they forget there's the backside of that what happens in the rest periods what happens in between training sessions those are all aerobically driven events and if you have too big of an imbalance between the aerobic and the anaerobic ultimately you, know, you get guys who are really fast really strong really big but these are the same guys that are chronically injured. These are the same guys, you know, that break down, that are fatigued in the fourth quarter, or the second half, or whatever. So I think you just have to look at the big picture of, you know, unless you're talking about Olympic weightlifter or you're talking about powerlifter, you know, those guys are heavily anaerobic because their sports last a second at a time or even less. Uh, but when you're talking about an athlete's running up and down a field or even, 
you know, running around a ring or an octagon for five minutes or, you know, much longer, obviously, in team sports. Those are largely aerobically driven sports, and you have to look at the balance of, of intensities, and you can't think high intensity all the time, and you can't think only anaerobic. You've got to have a more balanced approach, and that's probably the biggest mistake people make. Yeah, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast in how the kind of industry picks up on, on something, and in this case, high-intensity training, and just goes absolutely to town on it. And then yep. they realize they've you know, avoided the aerobic side of it and haven't developed that, and then it kind of swings back the other way. And, and hopefully now, it, and off the back of some of the work you've been doing, people are starting to find the sort of the ground in the middle and, and covering yep. everything. I, mean, I, think, I think the message has been getting out there. I think people are starting to come back to a more balanced approach. I mean, I know I get lots of emails and I'm, and I'm able to reach, you know, large number of coach, coaches, fortunately. I think people in general are starting to realize that when you when you just run people into the ground at the highest intensity you can find, like, it's just a matter of time before they break down. It's, it's not a sustainable approach. And if you try it long enough, you're going to figure that out. And I think enough people have started to figure that out. And, you know, you've got some great rugby coaches. You've got some really good American football coaches. You've got good coaches out there who are preaching the same message. And I think ultimately everybody that's, tried high intensity all the time long enough has realized it's got its limitations and have you know realized there's there's a better more balanced approach that will work more effectively in the long run yeah now let's um talk about your kind of strength and condition philosophy now uh, and I, I know you could probably talk about that for hours but in a nutshell what would how would you describe it um you know in a nutshell it's it's, it's all about understanding what the demands of the sport are and then training both the body and the brain to be prepared for it. And I think that's probably the simplest way to look at it. We look at the body in terms of, let's say your, your body is like your car. It's, you develop the transmission a certain way, you develop the engine a certain way, uh, you know, you build it a certain way that it's able to perform the demands of that sport, the skills. So you teach it the right movement patterns, you develop the right energy systems, you develop the tendon and soft tissue structures, you know, you prepare the body for the specific movements, skills, you know, motor patterns, all that sort of stuff, and then you have to teach the brain how to drive the whole thing, and that's really the difference between general and specific training. So I look at, you know, making sure the body has the physical capabilities, and then I look at exposing the brain to the environment as many different elements of the environment as possible, so that it understands how to drive the course, it understands how to put all the pieces together, and not just execute the skills, but execute the skills within the competitive environment. I think that's probably the biggest thing I try to do that um, I focus on in recent years is just understanding how the brain works and the difference between doing a skill in a weight room or in a practice field versus doing a skill in a competition environment are two different things. So I tend to look at you know that big picture of, okay, what are the, what are the physical demands of the sport and then what is the environment those demands have to be played out in so we can train the brain to be able to execute the skills, again, in competition because it's one thing to be able to you know run fast or have your skills look good in the gym or you know in the off season doesn't always mean those translate into the field of play over the course of a season so i look at this broad picture of the brain the body and the environment and how those things interact and that's really the model i work from yeah that's great i I think you're right i think some of the the teams and sports and athletes who get it right are the ones who tie that kind of general training or general physical approach into the actual performance and the skill and uh, it's really interesting you're talking about the brain because people kind of just think of S&C as a, as a separate entity and don't tie everything in with the sort of technical tactical training um, and yep. the, the people who do are the ones who have the success and, and that's where the kind of holy grail is so to speak. Yeah I think again the, the problem is 
you know, it's got pluses, minuses, but our system has developed a way where you have the, the SNC coach doing one thing and you have the skill coach doing something else. And that can create benefits, but it can also create mismatches of demands versus abilities. And it misunderstates the fact that the brain and the body and the environment are all connected. And, if, you know, if you learn again, if you only learn how to move in a weight room, you don't necessarily know how to execute those skills in a competitive environment. They're very different. So. Uh, I think the more closely the strength conditioning coach can work with the skill coach, the more you can understand the demands from a skill standpoint, the movements, the energetics, the field, the you know the environment. The more that those things can start to be meshed, the closer you get to the season, you know, the better off the athlete can ultimately perform. If you go from six months of living in the weight room to all of a sudden you're on the field running sprints and reacting to people and doing, you know, field-based activities, and you've spent six months doing nothing but living in the weight room, your performance is going to be terrible, even if you have. You know, maybe you got stronger, maybe you have more explosive power, maybe your tendons are better, maybe all these things happened, but you haven't learned to move in a competitive environment, you haven't learned to react, you haven't learned to do the things that are necessary to actually be an athlete, you're going to suffer versus somebody who's been able to develop those skill executions you know, within the environment and gradually built up the specificity over time, that person's going to be much more well prepared. And I think you see the biggest um, examples of problems of this is, is why so many injuries happen in the early preseason. When people go from their off-season program, they go in training camp. I mean, the first two weeks in training camp, people are just littering the field with injuries. Well, that shouldn't happen. That's happening because they weren't adequately prepared. And maybe they were physically prepared, but maybe mentally they hadn't developed the, the capacity to drive, so to speak. They hadn't developed the context of that environment well enough, and they go out to execute. And the, even though the physical might be there, the mental capacity wasn't there because it wasn't trained properly. There was no specificity. And boom, you pull a hamstring, or boom, you blow your knee out, or you know, whatever the case may be, all these injuries that happen in the first two weeks of training camp are purely from poorly designed programs and lack of specificity getting up to that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I th think people talk about injury prevention and, you know, look at different stability exercises and things like that, but it's it's actually the whole training program. If that's, you know, set up correctly, you should minimize, you know, certainly reduce those injuries, shouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's two things in my mind. It's if you go from maybe you're doing an off-season program and you're running two days a week okay great you're on the field you're getting maybe 30 40 minutes spring work whatever the case may be now i start my training camp i'm running five days a week six days a week i've just doubled or tripled my volume of sprinting that's way too big a spike for the body to be able to accommodate to and then number two again it's maybe i didn't do the same movements in the same environment in the off-season so i was doing you know field work in a small field or i was doing my weightlifting and jumps and sprints you know, only in the weight room versus now I'm out in the field moving around in three-dimensional space against other people. So, you know, if you have this big mismatch in the movement patterns and the environment and you have a big, big mismatch in the volume of work that's being done and the intensity of work that's being done, that's essentially about the biggest recipe for injury you can have, and that's exactly why you see it. Yeah, definitely. Something to be avoided. Uh, right. Um, while we're talking about sort of training different things concurrently, uh, in your book, uh, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, you discuss uh, how certain physical qualities um, can't be trained together and certain certain ones can. What, what would be your suggested approach to, to a rugby athlete? Um, just, just you, know, you got to kind of look at the time of year and you got to look at the demands of the athlete and where their specific strengths and weaknesses lie. Now, in general, you know, trying to do a bunch of endurance work with strength and power work at the same time has some conflicting demands. So. I tend to pick my poison. It's either, okay, we're going to get bigger, stronger, faster, develop more of the anaerobic potential, or we're going to work on the ability to maintain power over time, which would be more of the endurance potential, rather than trying to say, hey, we're going to slam them all together and train everything at once. So I tend to break down what are the big 
paradigms. It's get bigger, stronger, faster, recruit more muscle fibers, develop stronger tendons, you know, all those sorts of things, or the ability to maintain that strength power over time and, you know, pick which one is the most necessary given the demands of the sport, given the time of year, given the athlete, train those, improve them, and then reevaluate and see what needs to be worked next. Oh, that's, that's a great answer. Cheers, Joel. Right. Um, this is this is a question we ask every guest on the podcast. Um, what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Um, again, I'll, I'll qualify the statement with I have rugby is probably one of the sports that I've worked the least with from a <laughs> team standpoint. So maybe it's just because I'm stuck in the U.S. Uh, you know, I'm not exposed to it as much, and um, I'm probably the least familiar again from a team standpoint with rugby. Um, but I will say I've seen again. This is this is not any particular team or coach, but I've seen a lot of this is why I, and I wouldn't say this is an athlete's fault. This is the the thing the thing I see the coaches doing is treating conditioning as a as a punishment or treating as something that you know you you do because you played poorly. Well, let's go do a bunch of conditioning work. There's very big reasons why that's a bad idea. Number one, the brain values work proportionate to what it perceives the potential value or benefit of that work is. If you tell someone to go run because they're being punished, well, now I've just associated all my running, all my conditioning work with something negative, and I'm much less likely to put effort into something that I perceive as a negative versus something I see as a potential to make me as a better athlete. And you've essentially hardwired these athletes to believe conditioning is a form of punishment rather than as a form of development. And those are different, those are different mental approaches to conditioning. Um, secondly, people go into conditioning thinking like the goal is just to drive people into fatigue as much as possible. Okay, I'm going to get better if I really fatigue these guys. The problem with that is when you really fatigue someone, your movement patterns start to break down and how you coach those movement patterns when you're fatigued dictates how they're going to move when they are fatigued. So in the fourth quarter or the end of the game or whatever, obviously they're going to be fatigued. It's the end and they're playing hard, but their movement patterns are going to be dictated by how they've been coached. If your only emphasis during a conditioning session is go as fast as you can until you're as tired as you can, your movement patterns fall apart because you're not coaching them. So when they get in the fourth quarter, their movement patterns are going to fall apart because that's what they've learned. Instead, if you view conditioning as to be able to maintain perfect technique as long as possible and to be able to deal with fatigue and still move well, then that's a different mindset. That's a different physical and mental quality. So when the athletes now get tired, they're still moving well. They're still uh, able to perform solid fundamental movement mechanics versus I'm just looking sloppy and terrible and falling apart and getting injured and playing poorly. So I think people's mindset needs to, and this is rugby, American football, a lot of sports in general, but just being cognizant of as athletes fatigue, it's a coaching opportunity. And the coaching opportunity is to make athletes move better in that stress, in that time period of fatigue. It's not just make athletes move faster when they're tired. It's make athletes move better when they're tired. And those are two different things. So, you know, I think a lot of the compacts, the contact type sports, American football, rugby, you know, MMA, they just look at, okay, let's make our athletes really, really tired, and that'll improve their conditioning. Well, how about we actually teach them how to move well and execute skills well when they're tired? That's going to improve their conditioning because that's going to actually translate into performance rather than translate into fatigue. So probably the biggest mistake, and again, that's not I wouldn't say that's not necessarily specific to rugby, but I've definitely seen a fair amount of rugby teams out there trading with that mentality of conditioning is about fatigue and conditioning is about mental toughness and conditioning is about just running people in the ground versus coaching athletes to be better. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and but I think where mental toughness comes in is being able to perform those skills and and you know the fundamental movements of the sport under fatigue, and like say if yes. if they're just flogged and and not being able to 
to maintain those positions or skills, then you're not you're not doing what you're trying to to achieve, are you? Exactly. I mean, the whole point of being in better condition is to be able to perform under fatigue. It's not to just get yourself as fatigued as possible, looking like crap on the field. You know, it's it's about training that skill, like you said. And I would definitely agree with you. Mental toughness and mental strength is about being able to do the things you need to do when you do them, regardless of the context, regardless of the environment. And that's where teaching someone to perform well, to manage their energy, and to manage fatigue and still perform well. You know, that's the skill you should be teaching, not just go until you throw up. <laughs> yes, indeed. Right. Um, now, you've you've done a lot of work with heart rate variability um, monitoring. Uh, now, it, there's a, a lot of research on sort of aerobic and endurance athletes, um, and there is more starting to come out with strength athletes. How, how have you found... Uh, have you found it with strength athlete and how are you starting to use it with them? Um, yeah, I've, so I've been using it since 2000, 2002 or three, a long, long time. Um, the biggest thing you notice is, uh, regardless of you're talking to strength athlete, an aerobic athlete, I don't care, team athlete, it doesn't matter. What you find with HRV is that everything outside the training environment matters as much or more than what happens in the training. And this is the biggest thing people don't realize. You know, just because I work out for an hour or two, okay, great. I, I impose a lot of stress. I, you know, have a lot of energy expended, all that sort of stuff. But it's it's everything that happens in between the workouts that is really important. That's where the tissues get rebuilt. That's where the body makes itself stronger. And that's where all the things happen that have to happen for you to perform better as an athlete. So, you know, the, the biggest difference is you see different types of stress. And in, in endurance athletes, a lot of metabolic stress over longer volumes, you know, lower intensities in general. You know, a strength and power athletes, obviously higher intensities, but much lower volumes, lower frequencies. But fundamentally, I mean, you don't see um, a huge difference in terms of how the athletes respond from an HRV standpoint. The better athletes respond by recovering faster. The lower athletes respond by recovering slower. Um, but again, what you're fundamentally seeing and what you want to use HRV for as much as anything else is to understand what people's work capacities are based on their external factors so again sleep is a huge factor when people sleep well they recover a whole lot faster when they don't they recover a whole lot slower when people's nutrition is dialed in they're going to recover a lot faster than when it's not when their mental stress um, is, is under control they're going to recover faster i mean all these sorts of again external variables outside the training environment derive performance changes and derive fitness changes often as much or more than you know what you do in training so i don't care what sports you're in or what goal you're in you know hrv just gives you a much more complete picture of the stress recovery cycle and the whole recovery component is driven outside the gym so you know you have to be aware of of how all those factors play now if you want to be able to personalize and give somebody you know an, a, the most effective program over time and develop something that's matches their lifestyle versus just expects their lifestyle to you know be perfect it's not no one's no one's is and you have to take those factors into account if you want to really be able to program for somebody well yeah, and I think I think it's also a good education tool for the, for the athlete. And one of the things we see a lot is uh, with academy players who are still in college and you know going through exams and stuff like that. That's when you know they start to fatigue and start to or you know struggle to adapt and you know progress with their training. And it's it's a good education tool to show, you know you can show them how their HRV is responding, and then you know monitor their training. Obviously even with our academy you, you plan for those periods you know they're not going to be training as hard um but it, it just shows you or shows them it's it's a, a tool to to say you know this is when you need to start sorting your lifestyle out as opposed to just you know just thinking i'll, I'll go and train hard and, and that takes care of it. it it highlights the other issues like say outside of training yeah no absolutely i mean 
Uh, we've seen that time and time again. We have lots of college teams using it. And like you said, when people have exams, when it's finals week, when it's holidays, all these sorts of things, these big mental stress periods, I mean, they are brutal for people. You see huge drops in HRV and big, big changes uh, far outside of what you'll see from a t- typical training program. So, you know, as you said, it's it's a great educational tool to show people, look, here's the effects of everything you're doing outside the gym. And oftentimes, just making people aware. They didn't, they didn't realize how much having, you know, a couple couple drinks or staying up a few extra hours, they, they don't realize the effects of those things in their body until you can show them visually or graphically with, with the numbers changing and say, look, this this two or three nights of no sleep is much more stressful than the workout you're doing. You've got to get it under control. And just having that awareness and having that talk and educational process in place can make a big difference. People can change behaviors become because they're actually aware of the impact of them. Yeah, definitely. And and how um, sort of reactive have you been off the back of the HRV results, sort of mod- modifying training on a day-to-day basis? Uh, well, I mean, we're always looking at a big part of that. I mean, you're looking at how's the athlete feel, how they look when they warm up, what was their HRV, you know, what has their trend been, all those sorts of things go into decisions every day. I mean, I, training programs to me are, are, are never set in stone. They're always just, you know, kind of a fluid plan. So you have an idea of what you want to do for the day. You have ideas of volume and intensity, but you make your adjustments as you go. And to me, that's the biggest thing I've seen from the best coaches in the world, from you know Matt Hume, who I work with in MMA, to guys like Dan Paff in the track world. They're able to give the athletes what they need on every given day. And that comes from just years of coaching experience, intuition, and understanding of how the human body works and being um, understanding the right changes to make at the right time versus this mindset of where I, where I have just a plan and that's it no matter what. And those are two different mindsets. And to me, you know, again, the best coaches I've been around are the ones who have an intuition and understanding of, hey, I'm going to give the athlete what they need on any given day versus I'm just going to follow a plan that was set in place six months ago and it's set in stone and it is what it is. So HRV is, is one of you know, other, you know several variables you look at. You want to look at, again, how are they looking when they start moving around? You know, what's, what's their attitude like when you talk to them? Um, you know, again, what was their sleep like? What is their HRV? All those factors go into what does this athlete need on this day to get better? And, you know, as a coach or a trainer, you just want to be aware, you know, that, again, whatever plan you had in place should always be subject to change based on the actual findings of that day and how the athlete's doing. And if you consider, you know, flexible planning and flexible programming, uh, the right mindset, you'll do a lot better in the long run with your athletes. And if you just say, I've got a plan, I'm going to follow it. And that's, again, I think that's um, kind of the older way of looking at things. And you're going to get a much better response if you coach your athletes rather than just run them through a preset plan yeah definitely that's really good advice um for coaches and while we're on that topic what would be your sort of number one piece of advice for an upcoming strength coach i mean number one piece of advice is is just always keep learning and surround yourself and learn from as many people that have been in the field are experienced and willing to share their information with you so when i was first getting into this field Um, i was fortunate enough my mom worked for the airlines and i got free tickets to essentially fly around the country and i did that i mean i I flew not just the country i flew all over the world you know i sought out coaches i sought out therapists i thought out sought out trainers i I found people that i thought had something that i I wanted to learn and were good at particular area and i flew to them and i either did a conference or i just spent a day observing or whatever i could possibly do to learn from them and and that really exposed me to a lot of different great people and also to a lot of different ways of thinking and looking at the human body and performance um, and I still do that I mean, I still try to always seek out people to learn from and you know, I'm reading research and, and talking to friends and finding new people I think you just you've got to stay hungry I don't care how long you've been in this game I don't care how much you think you know there's still 10,000 things you don't know and there's there's still far more out there to learn so 
it's just always be hungry to learn, always be hungry to get better. Don't feel like you've ever got it figured out and don't feel like, uh, you know, you don't have something to learn from somebody because somebody, you know, maybe totally outside your scope of field. I mean, there's, there's a biologist named, uh, Dr. Robert Sapolsky is a professor of biology at Stanford. And I would say his, his research and work and teaching has probably influenced my career as much as any strength coach out there. And he's a biologist, you know, at Stanford it has nothing, he probably hasn't lifted a weight or ran a sprint a day in his life, but his work has, you know, been hugely influenced, influential on me. So don't be afraid to get outside the field, you know, don't be afraid to look at other avenues, other areas aside from just S and C. There's a lot you can learn from looking at other areas of performance, looking at other areas of, um, you know, how the body works that can inform you and help you develop better philosophy and help make you a better coach. So that's the one thing I would say. Yeah, definitely. And and while we're talking about, um, you know, sort of ways to learning, are there any, or is there a book you might recommend, you know, whether it's S&C, business, life, what would you recommend? No, I would say, actually, I would go, going back to old Robert Sapolsky, he, he, it's probably one of the best researchers and speakers I've ever seen in this field. So he has a whole video course on YouTube that you can find, which is basically his, his uh, one of his lecture courses at Stanford University. It's human behavioral biology. You can literally watch the entire thing. It's It's got to be about 30 or 35 hours of material. You can just go into YouTube and search for Robert Sapolsky, and you can find literally this treasure trove of valuable information of understanding how behavior works, understanding how biology works, understanding how our biology drives our decisions and our influences and our impulses and how it drives all these things based on you know evolutionary biology. So I don't care if you work with athletes, individuals, whoever, uh, that course is, is something I consider foundational for anybody to learn because it's so valuable. So I'd go to YouTube and I would type in Robert Sapolsky and I would go through his entire human behavioral biology class and I guarantee you you'll learn a lot from it and it'll, it'll change your way of, of looking at how, how, how we work in general. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant one. I'll, I'll certainly look that up and we'll share share links to that on the show notes um and and having done this podcast a lot of the coaches well pretty much all of them um you know we'll talk about the science and the theory but ultimately they all come down to you know that human interaction uh, and and that's a huge thing and and if that helps with that understanding behavior then you know it's it's definitely worth looking into uh, absolutely i mean the just coming under just having an understanding of why humans do the things that they do? What are what are the primary motivators that drive people to do things? You know, that having that basic understanding of the biology behind it's super valuable, and understanding that largely how we behave is motivated based on energy, homeostasis, and and survival above all else. And when you consider, you know, how that is such a driving force behind everything that we do, it helps you interpret, I guess, or understand the bigger picture of of how training programs and how stress and recovery. Um, you know, all come together and how they're related to our decision making, our desire to do them, and our performance and all those other things. So, it's, again, to me, it's an absolutely essential course. Anyone that's uh, going to be working, anybody should should go through it. That's great. Thanks for that, Joel. And and lastly, where can people learn about uh, more about you, Joel? Um, Aweeksout.com is is my website. I've got a ton of information there, um, and I'm actually going to be rolling out our, our own new product. Aimed at helping coaches and trainers learn from new people um, called Eight Weeks Out University here uh, in February, and that's really just just my my attempt and, and my desire to help coaches learn from as many different really good quality people as possible. And so I've, I found there's a lot of people out there, a lot of coaches that are you know they're busy coaching, they're in the trenches, they're working, they may not have time to write articles, they may not have time to speak, but they're fantastic, really really amazing coaches. Um, and a lot of these people are are coaches again that I've met throughout my journey as a coach, and I've gone to a lot of these people and said, hey, I really want to help 
people understand your work because it's so valuable um, and convince them to do video courses. So uh, basically we're starting with four courses, one for myself, one from a guy, Buddy Morris, who's with the Arizona Cardinals, um, a good friend named Dr. Jerry Amagita, who's a therapist, works with the Seahawks and Coach Dan Paff, um, and a course on Strongman with another guy I've worked with, the world champion Strongman, and just trying to expose people again to different ways of thinking, different coaches' methods and philosophies, and the more we can, again, more we can get information out there from people that have been successful, uh, the better that we're all going to be. So AWE State University is, is something I'm excited about and proud of, and every every few months we're going to be launching a couple more courses and continue to build this library of, of content from you know, really some of the best and, and brightest coaches and trainers and therapists uh, in the world. So eightweeksout.com is where people can get access to all our articles, research, videos, you know, all that sort of stuff and, and look for that eight weeks at university coming out soon as well. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome, Joel. Let let us know um, you know, when that comes out and we'll obviously share that with the, the rugby renegade community. Absolutely appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. All the best. Yeah, you too. So there you go, another great podcast. Thanks, Joel, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh so moving on, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn or iTunes and give us a five-star review uh, and you won't miss out on any more podcasts. Other than that, guys, check out RugbyRenegade.com. More articles coming out and also check out our YouTube channel. We're going to try and get some more sort of informational videos coming out on there. It's YouTube forward slash RugbyRenegade1. And, uh, of course, thanks again for PAS Nutrition for being our podcast sponsor. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk. And we'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.